1: Hey there folks, just wanted to jump on Mike here before we start the show proper and give a quick shout out to our sponsor on this episode, which is our friends over at the Criterion Collection. I'm sure those of you who listen to the show must know who the Criterion Collection is. Obviously they make awesome Blu-rays and DVD versions of classic and new films. And I just needed to give a shout out to a couple uh, Blu-ray releases for this month. Um, Graduation from the Romanian director Christian Manju uh, One of my favorite films from last year in 2017 Came out at least in U.S. theaters earlier in that year And held strong in my list This director is really good Four months, three weeks, two days um, Beyond the Hills He's a good director Um, And this is his latest film Out by Criterion and then I'd say the shining piece for their uh, their recent releases is Mishima, A Life in Four Chapters. Uh, this is the 1985 film from Paul Schrader, who has a new film out right now by A24. That film is called First Reformed. Mishima, I know very little about other than I've heard it's visually uh, beautiful, and uh, the cover artwork by Criterion is top-notch. So uh, both of these are worth seeking out, as are any other titles that you're interested in in the Criterion collection. So go to criterion.com for that otherwise you can find a lot of their title streaming on filmstruck as well so we thank them for uh, sponsoring this episode of adjust your tracking now on to the show Hello and welcome to Adjust Your Tracking. I'm Eric McClinahan. I'm Joe Von Oppen. Whoa, st- staccato, pausing in your name. I thought you forgot your name for a second yeah. there. No, no, no. I was
0: stifling a laugh, but it was like an unprovoked laugh. I have no idea. Maybe it's just a nervous excitement for getting back on mic. It's, it's been a while.
1: Yeah, you know, we we go away for like three or four weeks and I feel like it's been a year with, with without my Joey VA. I need to, I need to talk to you, dude.
0: Well, that's how fast the internet moves. Like a couple of weeks is just like might as well be a year in between because everything's been blown up and forgotten in the span of that time.
1: Yeah. So I guess it's just all just a pointless endeavor. Why are we doing this? <laughs> the end.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks for joining us. Um, well, I think we're gonna we're gonna talk about a um, we're gonna talk about two movies in particular um, that both kind of represent a sort of bygone type of genre cinema that we, we bemoan the sort of loss of or the infrequency of at least maybe not the loss of, but, um, in the, the sort of homogenization of the modern movie going experience. And, um, so we're going to get, we're going to talk about the industry again, um, the sort of shifting sands of the industry changing and, um, I was in Portland recently. You and I were ships passing in the night. You were coming back from Minnesota. I was leaving Portland at the time, but I ran into a friend who has worked in movie theaters like ever since I've known him back in the mid 2000s. And he currently works at the Laurelhurst. And I was like, I remember going around Portland and like the second run pub theaters are like, I think a treasure in Portland. Um, They're, they're pretty unique. Like that you don't, every city doesn't necessarily have them, but I think that it's like, you know, when I moved there in the early two thousands, like it was just like a really interesting uh, attribute to the city that there were these places you could catch movies that were, going second run you could have a beer if you wanted i didn't really care but like you know it was just like a relaxed atmosphere where, where movies could sort of like hang out for a cheaper ticket price and you know so i was like seeing the theaters and noticing that they were all currently playing first run movies now mm-hmm. and so i asked my friend i was like oh you work at the lore like, house how come they're not doing second run and he was like well the studios now are like pushing they're not allowing second run theaters to run them until like three months after they've been released. So by that time they're all available for streaming, if not oh, stealing. And like, um, so most people have just entirely lost interest in seeing these second run movies. And like that, that was like such a bummer to me. Cause I was thinking about it. I was thinking about how many movies like lingered and hung on because there was, there was still like an interest, but not a sort of, dominant interest that keeps things in like the top 10 box office, you know, um, Mm -hmm. status. So a movie like Donnie Darko in the early two thousands, like that survived in theaters for like, I think like six months in Portland. Mm -hmm. And that was because of the second run theaters. It got flushed through the first run showings like right away. And then it just sort of like popped up as an option in the second run theaters and then gained a popularity and then it's subsequent like release on DVD, it would like cemented it's kind of cult status. But like nowadays, you know, especially with like the glut of VOD options, like things don't really, there's like the most popular things. This is what we talk about the most is like bemoaning the, the loss of variety where there's like the things that are the, the most popular And those are the only things getting discussed. The Marvel movies, the Star Wars movies, anything owned by Disney. And then everything else kind of like glutting the overload in VOD streaming services, which there's a lot of great stuff, but a lot of it's just getting buried um, amongst the, the glut. So, like a movie becoming a sleeper hit, becoming a sort of like a a slow going like it'll it'll find its audience like that might still be true, but not on the same level anymore. Mm-hmm. And so, I was just thinking about how, especially with like the movies we're discussing today, you know, like we're discussing Lee Winnell's, um first, not his directorial debut, that was Insidious Three, but his first directed original script uh upgrade which came out this last friday from blumhouse and our uh, hold up pick is from 1990 uh mark l lester's class of 1999 which was my (laughs) pick and um the two kind of you know talk to each other in a weird way but um like they upgrade is definitely as it's being kind of sort of discussed critically as a type of it's a throwback movie and so the the loss of of variety results in a kind of uh championing and celebrating of a a, a lost movie mm-hmm. and you'll find it mostly at like festivals where it's like this is a throwback to the cronenbergian blah 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 and so like you'll find a sort of a sense of uh inflated importance not about upgrade I'm not referring to that specifically, but like to the type of movies that play genre festivals to then like get small theatrical releases and then go to VOD. Like there's, there's a sense of inflated importance about them because they represent a kind of bygone type of cinema, you know? Mm, Yes. So, so navigating between like, what's a genuine, genuinely not homage based film that is, kind of currently of the moment that's able to recall things that are missing, but not rely on them necessarily where it's like it can, they, they can help drive the film, but it's not derivative in any sense. And I think that upgrade does that. I think it's mm-hmm. able to be reminiscent of things that are are missing nowadays, a sort of character based plot driven, you know, like nuanced world-built, you know, with science fiction ideas that, like, has genuine genre payoff. Mm. Um And it doesn't, like, as much as it, it can recall moments of, like, RoboCop and, like, some Cronenberg moments, it doesn't necessarily feel indebted to them. You know, it sort of, like, brings new life to them, in a way. And, um yeah, it's just, like, it's an interesting kind of crossroad where we're at, where a movie like this, like you you feel the sort of genuine like the, the the people really like striving to to celebrate it because it represents what's missing and then realizing that that is absolutely crucial because there isn't the support system there used to be in audiences where it's like you have the niche audiences that will champion this movie and will sing its praises and talk about like this is the type of film that we need right now um, I hate that phrase by the way yeah, this yeah. is the dot 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 we need right now like this <laughs> is the refrigerator magnet we need right now so like <laughs> whereas like that's necessary because a movie like this r- doesn't make sense to a mass kind of detached audience they're just like what is it again I don't-. they need it overly phoned into them mm. and like that's that's sort of frustrating so you see like for other types of festival movies, movies that are kind of like, like a genre homage that get kind of like an overinflated sense of importance from critics. Like you will, like you see it and you're like, well, I mean, it's just an okay movie, but then you see it, that it like, it does need that sense of like elevation because there isn't a support system in the modern audiences to take a chance on something like this when it's playing first run theatrically. Right. Does that make it's, sense? It's,
1: the system the has system created, created, like you have, you to, have be to be hyperbolic just to get, yeah. You know.
0: Just to make a dent, just to make an impression, you know, that, um, and just to, you know, speak on the merits of the film itself. Like it's a good movie. It's an yeah. entertaining movie. And like that used to be enough, you know, and it plays with some interesting ideas And like features an incredible performance by Logan Marshall green who, you know, looks terrifyingly like Tom Hardy. And I think, I don't don't know if you watched the um, Venom trailer after it came out after the upgrade trailer, but it was just like, wait, is this, does everybody know that the two movies are echoing each other? And (laughs) yeah, I think it might be a point of contention, but um. So, yeah, like Logan Marshall Green, who is, you know, he's a working actor. He's been in Prometheus, the OC as Ryan's troubled brother. And he was outstanding in The Invitation from two years ago. Yeah. Karen Kusama's uh, film about cults and all takes place in a fevered evening. And um, he's outstanding in that. And like he brings a real kind of like urgent humanity and humor to what could just be a stock genre character, you know, like it could be like oftentimes like that's the make or break moment in genre movies is like an elevated performance, you know, that sort of Mm -hmm. humanizes everything and brings a sense of stake to the moments, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I don't know. Like what, what were your, what was your experience going to see upgrade in the theater? What was the audience like? How did you feel about it, Eric?
1: <clears throat> um, I, I liked it as well. I liked it as well. Uh actually, I guess I don't I don't know how much value is there is in the saying it's so relative, but I liked it more than I even expected to. It it looked like a fine sort of diversion to go check out. Mm-hmm. It also was like, hey, if I'm gonna choose like if, if, if my options at a multiplex are kind of between what the obvious that's there, like uh several screens with solo and Avengers and Deadpool and all that. Yeah, and this here's this little truly low budget. Like it's an it's kind of a an, an actual like proud to be a B movie B movie or, a, a, you know, in a way it's it's uh what would have been called an exploitation movie back in the day, whatever you want to call it. Like I was like, right. well, that's 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 an easy choice for, for for you and me in terms of like what we're after and what we're looking for. Yeah. Um. So it for one, just on a base level, like. I was really happy with like what it delivered. It delivered on what uh, more than I would have expected based on it being a a low budget movie. But uh, the audience I saw it with was me and maybe a couple other people because I saw it like opening day, uh, like a 1230 show. So, Mm While this movie did actually do better, uh, it landed in the top 10. Uh, I think it was number 6 we looked up and made like 4.5 million. It's like not bad for a small movie like this, mm-hmm. um, but my audience when I saw it very low. However, I had one of those magical moments where a dude that was sitting 3 ro- three seats uh like down from me, we both locked in to all the funny bits in this movie. Like there's moments where you just have to laugh out loud, um, either from something shocking happening or there's some like legit great scenes of humor. And, uh, I guess to, uh, I don't want to get too in the weeds on it, but there are moments that are like laugh out loud funny. And I, it I just felt like, Ooh, like me and this stranger are kind of riding this, this wave together. And we're both on it in the same way. We're enjoying this movie. Uh, I didn't talk to this person before or after. He might have hated the movie, but I got the sense that we both liked it in the same way. Yeah. Uh, Like, for instance, like I said, I don't want to get too in the weeds because it would require a lot of explanation, but uh, in this movie, uh, Logan Marshall Green sort of becomes, uh, like, uh, a Robocop-type, like, half-machine, half-man after a series of unfortunate events. And... Uh, there's a moment where you you come to realize that the AI that's been implanted in him will speak to him, but only he hears it, but he has to speak to it. You know, he has to talk out loud. So there's a lot of like, um, it's like what I thought was kind of nice about the first Iron Man movie that has just grown tiring in all the mm-hmm. other movies, but the banter between robots and a funny lead character like Tony Stark in this movie, it's Logan Marshall green talking to himself but it's this AI in his head. And there's a moment where he says something like, you got to be fucking kidding me. And the AI just goes, no, <laughs> it's like, there's just this deadpan, um, nice mm-hmm. little beats of humor in the movie that, that really worked. And, uh, it's also kind of a nasty, proud to be nasty, violent action movie. Um, and I think those like the second run theaters that you opened on, um, those are going away and they're gonna more and more just kind of end up on VOD you know straight to VOD i think like we have championed the last two movies by um i'm blank what's the 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 guy who did brawl and Selbach 99 what's that uh Craig Zoller Craig? thank you S Craig Zoller we we've been championing his movies and each time it's like so every time this guy puts out a movie he just gets a VOD release is that like what's going on there we're yeah. we're always sort of wondering about that but um I hope more movies like this can continue to find uh real estate in a multiplex if needed. And at least Blumhouse has had enough success and they can't be denied. So they always seem to have, if they've got a movie that can work theatrically, at least they will put it there with confidence and, uh, and at least can find enough audience to justify that. So um, I'm happy that the movie did well enough this weekend that maybe the argument can always continue that, Movies like Upgrade should find their spot in the theater, but um, I do worry that uh, we'll be watching more and more of these on VOD, and that doesn't have to be the end of the world. But uh, it, times are changing as as we continue to to get at on the show.
0: Yeah, there. Um, I I got to see the the premiere of the movie, and uh, Jason Blum did the introduction, and he brought Lee on stage to like do the kind of final words and. Lee brought up which is something that you know we've always acknowledged about Blumhouse but that Blumhouse's model is like really simple they find filmmakers they like and they let them do whatever the fuck they want which is like that's what Steven Soderbergh was sort of introducing when and he sort of addressed the sort of the change in the industry and what needs to happen like just take have a stable of filmmakers, give them like, you know, not an insane amount of money, but enough to let them do what they want. And, and then like, they'll like, the successes will help buoy the rest of them, you know? And like, that's, that used to be how the entire system works. Now it's just like high stakes or nothing. And then like everything else is starting to sort of like, fall into a place where like, they're like, well, I guess VOD, you know, like where that that's still a rightful kind of legitimate place for things to find an audience to potentially thrive. But I just think fundamentally a movie like upgrade, you know, like you said, it's like a, it's an, it revels in its sort of nastiness. It also has like an emotional resonance that was like, it's sort of smartly established through all of the performances but it's a movie that is playing to like, I know that Lee loves, you know, that he loves the the theatrical experience. And so he's, Mm. he's, he's creating an experience that will be maximized by seeing it with a crowd. And like, I got to see it in a packed audience and like the way it played the crowd was like, it's thrilling when that works. Same with like Craig Zoller's movies, you know, like he's, He's able to get the cast that he gets, Craig Zoller like because of the quality of the work. But like if that's not returning investments, like those opportunities are going to get smaller and smaller. And then like I just see it starting to affect the actual work. Like you and I have discussed this where like if you're creating a film for what you assume to be played on like the largest screen imaginable, like, and, and for it to be given the quality of attention that you want, you're, you're, cr- you're crafting a different like work than it is. If like you're imagining it on someone's phone and you think people are half paying attention. Like that's just that all those things are going to start to affect the output. It just inevitably has to, you know? And like, mm-hmm. So the more and more it starts to shift where there people feel like there isn't a place in modern cinemas, if like those are even going to exist anymore, God forbid. Um, But like, you know, like I just, I just want to, you know, you, you want to like secure space for a variety to still exist for these things to play to the largest, you know, thing possible. There's, um, there's a programmer in town who I've brought up before Phil Blankenship who uh, he has like a club called the 9:35 club. Well, mm-hmm. where he'll like get a bunch of friends who go to the one screening allotted per day for a movie playing. It's like obligatory contractual theatrical, you know, run where yeah. it's like that eh, plays once a day. And it's like, no one's heard. Like I've never heard of these movies, but they'll like play at a sort of, far-flung art house theater at 9 35 every night <laughs> so like <laughs> like he's like resuscitating like in the smallest way possible he's getting his group of friends to go see this movie as a way to just like keep the possibility alive you know
1: that's awesome and, like
0: <laughs> and so like you do, like you see a like around town in LA like I see upgrade on billboards on bus ads which is like that's more of an LA thing than a rest of the country thing but um like you you, it doesn't seem like it's it's like in danger of going away it's like well that's as big a movie as any other movie opening against it but that's not true like it plays and delivers as much as anything else and it's like a delivery system for like great entertainment but like it still is in danger of like going away you know and like mm-hmm. i don't know like we're 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 still it, you know like we we talk about how like the the modern movie experience is like it looks like it, it because it's so big and has been so big for so many decades you just assume the end like it's not going away but right, it's like right. It might, you know, like we, you don't, you don't know like what year to year it's going to be like, you see theaters folding all the time. You see, mm-hmm. you know, like around town, the festivals are starting to like dry up where it's like Sundance next fest was happening every summer here. And it's like, it's not happening anymore. Like, Oh, well, why? And so like you're watching avenues close down and like venues, you know, go dark. And so like, you if you if you value a certain type of experience like go out and support it you know because like i like you and i get really frustrated with the sort of eternal sameness of a certain type of experience it's like we decided what everyone should like i don't know at what point (laughs) you know and so it's just like all we're gonna get is disney iterations from here on out and like everybody
1: seems to be relatively okay with that. You know, mm-hmm. I think that's, what's think interesting that's about, you uh, know, pe- people like you and like me are, are in the minority nine when, it when it comes to uh, our yeah. affection for movies and the things yeah. we want out of movies. But it, I think that's why we're often the loudest minority and that there can be sort of a, a signal to noise ratio that doesn't feel correct uh, on the internet of like, we're making a lot of noise in mass about, Why aren't more movies like this being made? Who decided that, like, these were the only movies we are allowed to see at theaters? Well, a lot of people decided for us, like you said, and it feels that way. And I think we push back against that. And I'm just I've been trying to think in my mind uh, after seeing Upgrade of, like, what are some other comparable movies that have even come out lately to theaters that fell on a similar that were a similar kind of movie? And I'm sure there's others, but there's not that many. Uh, Two that came to mind are The Guest. By yeah. uh, Adam Wingard, and then Hardcore Henry. Uh, and what I want to say in regards to Upgrade is that it, I, what I like is that Upgrade is clearly, um, in terms of its distribution, I think Lee Wannell did a, did a like he made the movie he set out to make. It looks like he got to the movie comes off like it was made with like real vigor and energy, and like they got to make what they wanted to make. You probably yeah. have more insight to that than me, but, uh, but. Something like Hardcore Henry was like a wave of hyperbole from, uh, I think it was Toronto Film Festival, Midnight Madness, where it rode that wave, sold for a big price tag more than it probably should have in hindsight and i can't remember who handled that movie and distributed it but there was excitement behind it until it came out and then stx
0: is that who STX, it?
1: Out? yeah and they're like an interesting distributor that's trying to you know cut in and 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 put out they're at least trying to put out some movies like off the beaten path like that mm-hmm. so i don't want to you know i don't want to like knock on them but like that movie was like overestimated for the excitement also was pretty terrible uh, in my, in hindsight upgrade compared to hardcore Henry is like such a refreshing, like almost like response to that movie. I feel like Uh, the guest is one of those that we loved and just enjoyed the hell out of and it just, nobody went and saw it. So um, point being is that I'm really glad at least with this one upgrade, because every year it seems like, Uh, these kind of movies are being choked out of a multiplex or just cinemas. So the fact that upgrade is being responsibly put out uh, seems intelligently distributed and marketed and Mm -hmm. it's all relative, but they, they were one of the big uh, sort of notes. And when I look at box office reports on Sundays, I like to pay attention to, to that stuff. And uh, upgrade was the one that kept coming up. It's like, Hey, this is like a good little, good, like surprise for Bloomhouse like it was uh over what they I don't know who does the tracking and how they expect what a movie it's it's clearly yeah. not a science, but and I think a lot of it is PR speak when they're like, ooh, the movie did better than expected it's like, okay, based on what, but that was the sort of line for upgrade and it got that means that movie was in the same conversation as. The other top 10 movies of it, which are mostly Deadpool, Solo, Avengers, blah, 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 uh, Overboard mm-hmm. Remake, you know, all that shit. So, um, that's, that's great. Like, Blumhouse is one of these that, like, they know what they're doing. They're established and now, like, legit successful. They've won Oscars as a, some of the movies they put out. You know, they, I'm, I'm always heartened by this, but then it's like, it's that thing of, um, Years ago, it was the Megan Ellison thing where we'd be like, we'll just have her pay for all the cool movies. Yeah, you she, she can't pay for everything. She can't you know, pay but... for everything. She can't sustain. So while Blumhouse can't pay for everything, they have a model that you've laid out pretty well. And uh, while some movies do end up just going straight to VOD, they put the ones they're at least confident in to, to go in theaters. And I think they just do it with a bit of restraint with um, uh, a, a relatively like cautious hand. They don't overspend. And I, mm. I it's gonna allow this stuff to continue in theaters. I I'd like to think. So if Upgrade is being written up in that same way, and it frankly it has a couple weeks here where it can do well in theaters before like yeah. the next giant movie comes out, there's 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 hope. But um I'm with you, man. I don't want movies like Upgrade to just be VOD because as much as we've talked about it in this industry sense, there is some really inventive fun shit in this movie. I think we should get into it a little bit. Like the camera work during the fight scenes, dude. Like I was thrilled by that, you know? So
0: so the basic premise, it's set in the not so distant future, sort of black mirror sort of terrain of Mm -hmm. advanced technology. And we have like a Luddite played by Logan Marshall green plays gray, who, um, yeah who um who you know only you know works on old cars only listens to vinyl you know, i felt a kinship with him cuz i drive a 1983 toyota Celica and you know i dj with cassette tapes so you know i just you know i felt your, like your car is like a comparable to the
1: muscle one he's uh, he's putting together in the beginning of the
0: movie every time it starts i do whisper i love you to it so <laughs> which he does at the very beginning of the movie so he um he gets he ends up doing some work for a very spectrumy type tech wizard who is um, effeminate and albino-y Who, um, after visiting him, a uh, series of like you know unfortunate events happens where they're in a driverless car that ends up marooning them in this desolate area. He and his wife and they get attacked by a group of sort of like random criminals it seems like and then she winds up getting murdered him paralyzed and he is approached by the the tech wizard with a, a possible resolution that like if he's implanted with this AI chip it could bring him back to sort of his his ability to walk and his like previous capabilities he, f- he finds out later that this AI actually speaks to him as you mentioned. And like that whole premise is so like well laid out and like mm-hmm. at, when it starts to get into the sort of murder mystery element and the sort of genre elements, like it's, it hits all the, like all the cylinders start firing and everything starts to connect in a way that you like the sequence you you were describing in the choreography, like it is is like seamless with his performance, Logan Marshall green's performance with like how well the scenario is sort of laid out and established. Like it all starts to connect in this way that you're like, it's a thrill to watch, like mm-hmm. to watch this sequence where like he's suddenly capable of tremendous violence that he's not comfortable with. <laughs> and so like, you're watching his reactions and like, it's just, it's, it's that beautiful sort of synergy of like great movie making where you're like, the choreography matches the performance matches the writing, which has set everything out up so perfectly. And like that, that's when the movie is really kind of like humming, like perfectly, you know, where like the the first sequence where STEM is the name of the AI starts to speak to him. He's like, huh? What? Hello? Like, and, and like, there's that just great scene. And like, it's that there's, there's equally, it's equally as tense as it is hilarious. And it like, I don't know. Like the movie just sort of like sprang to life in that in that section, and I, I think that like those those kind of like movie going experiences are like pretty rare. And it's like it's innovative. Like there's there's a sense of innovation that even though there's there's plenty that's going to be innovative in the the Disney movies that are coming out because like they have the money to do so, but it almost seems so hectic and overwhelmed like Mm -hmm. in the final product that you can't even discern what's innovative. Whereas like with a movie that's kind of approachably small, but impressive, like upgrade, you get to build those moments. So you really get to see them come to life, you know, like, and that Mm -hmm. choreography is so beautifully like executed in the movie. Like it's really, it's unique. Like it's, We've seen plenty of innovative fight choreography in like movies like The Raid or even yep. Brawl in Cell Block 99 that we previously discussed. This was like, oh, I've never seen anything quite like this. You know, like even post-Wire War Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon stuff. Like This was really like... Exciting to watch. There's some know?
1: there's some sequences in the Raid Two where the camera almost wants to um like fluidly follow the punches and moves. It's it's a little more it's a lot more subtle in that movie in a not subtle movie. But the Raid Two, like <laughs> it, there'll be like you'll see like the lead character pick up a chair and sort of the camera will swing down and then up with him. But yeah, this yeah. Mo- this movie takes that idea and does find a whole original new peak to climb with it where. Because he's uh, at the point before he springs into action, literally, uh, Logan Marshall Green, he he's paralyzed and then it like hits him and there's this like, it's like leaping up into action and the camera will be down with him and then like he'll do like these crazy flips and stuff and the camera goes with him and mm-hmm. how they kept that where it didn't look like a bunch of shaky cam Uh, you could, the fact that I could actually tell what was going on as the camera did this acrobatic shit. I was like, now that is why I love still love, even though there are just less and less of them with even this kind of budget to, to do this fun stuff with is like, it's why I will always love these inventive little low budget B genre movies because that's where you see, real innovation when when you don't have the resources of Disney, you know, George Lucas innovated Star Wars because he didn't have all the money to do every stupid idea he wanted to do in the original. <laughs> he had to right. he had to rethink it. And yeah. it is it is interesting that that's the movie along with a few others that just has essentially, you know, uh, it's like the bone being thrown into the air in 2001. And you skip to now. And that's how, those are the kind of movies being made now because of Star Wars. But we, we are copying this thing that it's not, it's, it's, it's a very strange, like, I understand how we've gotten to this point, but also sometimes I'm like, God, what less money can be great sometimes for some of these movies. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, uh,
0: yeah. There was, um, like a few months ago, I don't know if we ever discussed it on Mike, but, um, game night, uh, was a Jason Bateman comedy, um, and like the action sequences in that movie became like more impressive to me mostly because like they they had less money to execute it with so they had to be coherent they couldn't they couldn't like overload you into exhaustion the way like most like really expensive action movies do mm-hmm. so there had to be a sense of innovation to the sequences and they were like in in that sense they were more involving and they were therefore more suspenseful than most action movies that were out at the time. Hmm. And like that's what I, I feel like Upgrade does the same thing, albeit it's not a comedy. You know, it's very funny at times, but like, you know, it, it takes these sequences and it like lays out the terrain and it like s- smartly executes every one of them. Mm-hmm. And like you know, just hearing it play the audience, like howling, you know, and I, I i had the same experience where I was laughing even in a crowded theater. Like I had the loneliest laugh in the room. Sometimes <laughs> I wonder okay. if my, my friends across the theater, I wonder if they know I'm here just because they hear my demonic cackle.
1: <laughs> I miss, I miss that cackle.
0: <laughs> Thanks.
1: Um, yeah, I, I think it's really, um, I was talking about the original Robocop with a coworker yesterday Mm -hmm. and he had seen it for the first time recently and really took to it. Yeah. I was like, that's great. Younger guy, uh, movie lover, but, uh, he's catching up on Verhoeven and really liked it. And it kind of reminded me of like, uh, I know we've talked about this on Mike before, but there was a time where you and I would chat at work a lot at the port, at the art museum where the cinema was that we worked and, we would talk about stuff like RoboCop or Arnold Schwarzenegger movies, and we'd always get this sort of scoff if someone heard us that was coming in there. And it just, it, it kind of reminds me that like uh, it's really easy for people to dismiss stuff like that. If they don't want to think yeah. beyond, Oh, it's called RoboCop or, Oh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Like I don't right like, what a waste of time. However, if you watched RoboCop and gave it a chance, it's a really smart, artful, also action movie it's got like a lot going on and i think that might be part of the thing to like circle us back of like why did the why did the world just decide for the rest of us that marvel disney pixar like that's kind of it is because they're all a lot of them are all just sort of baseline they've got enough money to make everything look like a movie and it It's almost Mm -hmm. like, and it gives you the beats you want, the familiarities, and you
0: know exactly what they are. And I think that, like, now that like the terrain, like, there's just there's there's an insane variety of everything. Like we talk about the loss of variety. I mean, there's a potential for everything to be available because everything is available. (sighs) But like, what dominates the conversation is very few things at this point because it's hard. Like because people don't want to have to pay attention to what everything is because it's exhausting the prospect of it's overwhelming so you're just like i don't know what that is i don't care so it's just like it sinks to the bottom of the rest of the sort of vod glut and nobody knows how to navigate it so they're just like i'm only i'm only interested in what everybody else is talking about around the water cooler no longer makes sense whatever the fuck the sort of cultural hub is at this point but like cuz there's no more water left um <laughs> that, that's my point um, but uh so so like people like all like there's innumerable albums available, but what's everybody talking about the new Kanye West album, because he dominates like the cultural conversation Mm. and like, what's everybody talking about The, the fact that solo isn't performing as well as everybody thought it would. And it's not quite as good as everybody wanted it to be. That's the dominant conversation because that's what everybody knows. And it's like, does everyone know it because of the sort of built in innate quality of it? Or it's just because like it was established at a point where it could resonate and we've all just sort of arbitrarily decided that that's what everybody should know, like the Super Bowl, where it's like, right. uh, I don't know, it's, like, it's just it's the thing that everybody agrees on. So let's just, you know, there's enough disagreement in the world. Let's just all stick with this, okay? But <laughs> so
1: then you're like, like, you're like, I don't even like football. So why am I the one doing all the compromise? <laughs> you know, why that's... am I bringing baked potatoes to this fucking party? I don't like <laughs> football. Um, specific, yes.
0: Yeah. Wait. What? What does that analogy refer to? I'm not sure. But um, my opinions are the baked potato. Anyway. So um. So yeah. So there's just like a type, like you know, we've been bemoaning this, you know, since probably like a few years after the podcast started. But you know, like a, a type of experience that is in jeopardy of going away, and like you know, there is an opportunity to do still seize it and enjoy it and keep it alive. You know, we talked about, um, beyond fest as a genre festival in Los Angeles that Eric's going to come down for at some point. Um, (laughs) and, uh, but they, they had like a statement they released, um, when like the, the last, last year's festival was starting. That was like all about supporting, um, just local theaters, whatever city you're in, you know, like go, go to your local theater you know, and like one sobering point was like, cause once the theaters start to go, once they start to close, they're not coming back. Mm. And I was just like, fuck, that's really heavy. Cause it's like, this is something that's always been a part of our life. And there's no guarantee that it always will, you know? And like, and that's, that's hard. That's a hard thing to face if you cherish it, you know? Cause it's not like, it's, it's a part of how you and I relate to the world. It's a part of how we like, you know, Roger Ebert, beautifully described you know cinema as like the 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 what was it the
1: a machine that generates empathy
0: exactly and so like to be able to go to a place where all you're f- focusing on is that and the artfulness of it and like just the 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 grandeur of it you know like if that goes away like that's a huge loss and so i don't know there's just something about like keeping it alive and keeping the you know as as long as like it gets dominated by a thing that I don't think really uh a monoculture can sustain itself. And so in order to keep a variety of life assuring its survival, like you you need to go out and support. So go to the movies for Christ's sakes. <laughs>
1: That's, <laughs> That's what the we're, PSA for today.
0: What we're eternally saying. <laughs> But um, I don't know. Do you want to do you, you want to pivot to uh, the the next hold up? Indeed, let's do it.
1: Meanie, 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 meanie. What? Meanie, 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 meanie. What? Meanie, 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 meanie. Hold up. Wait a minute. just wait. In 1998, six million violent incidents took place in American high schools. Including 29,927 teacher fatalities. The public school system has been reduced to a battlefield. But the Board of Education has just found a solution. Tommy! The perfect solution. You're next, Mr. Cope. For the class of 1999. Where are you? The class of 1999. We're supposed to educate the students. Battle droids, guys. Battle, Battle droids. droids. To graduate is to survive.
0: Eric, you know, rightfully suggested we we do something that kind of like fit the tone of our main um review, which was upgrade. And so he was like, Is there like a Terminator-ish ripoff that either one of us have liked that could sort of fit tonally with this? And I suggested. The Hidden, which we may still discuss at a future time because you've never seen it, right?
1: It's true. It's I true. need to see it. It looked cool. And
0: um, Class of 1999, which to me is like, as after I suggested it and you're like, holy shit, like, let's do this one. I was like, <laughs> okay. It's more in line with what Hold Up originally started as, which was a segment where we would discuss movies that were either you know, kind of like critically misunderstood, culturally maligned, and we held a certain fondness for it that we needed to reinvestigate through our, you know, critical counterpoint in each other and just open up a dialogue about why we like, you know, what we like, even if it's sort of misunderstood. It, the segment has went on to become like just reinvestigating movies that we we definitely held in a in a high regard and just like testing whether they do truly hold up. So this class of 1999 Mark L Lester's class of 1999 from 1990 is a little more in line with how it originally started because like no one would really argue that this is a good movie and like I saw it as a as a kid and even at that point I I know that I liked it. I was like I like this movie. Um but I don't know that I would argue that it's great or even good. Um Maybe good, but like, so 1990, I've discussed, you know, with previous holdup segments was a, a time of sort of like familial, um, like turmoil, you know, like my parents were getting a divorce. We were on the cusp of like moving to an entirely new state. There was just like a lot of like tumult and unease at the time. And like my, like my family, they knew how much I love movies. So like they would, you know, everybody like, I was the youngest in the family. So they would like each, each person basically took me to movies all the time to make me feel better. Mm. My brother took me to see class of 1999. It played in the, one of the century theaters on Winchester Boulevard where who've since closed in 2014. These were my childhood, like domed, like the geodesic dome, uh, Cinerama theaters that like I grew up loving. And so here was, it was playing at century 24, and like similar to your experience going to see Upgrade, like no one was in the theater to see this movie. <laughs> My brothers took me to see it, and like I don't think I had seen the previous uh, class of 1984 um, by Mark L. Lester, which like it's not a direct sequel to it, but it's definitely like a follow-up hmm. set in a dystopian future, nine years into the future, where um, gangs have gotten so out of control that they declare their turf and their territory, free fire zones in America. And um, the military has joined with the department of education to create a new cyborg teacher who can go into the sort of school areas and reform them. And uh, they can thus release prisoners to go back to school now that they have teachers equipped and capable of dealing with them. So we start with one of the prisoners being released and Going back to school, and he is forbidden of engaging in any gang activity. And he reunites with his little brother, played by Joshua Lee Miller from Near Dark, who. Do,
1: oh, yeah. do, do you recognize him? Oh, of course. Oh, of course. I yeah. mean, his yeah. voice <laughs> and his look. His look. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's perfect as like a, a kid vampire in Near Dark because it's like, well, yeah, you do look like a half frozen old man inside the body <laughs> of a child. Anyway. Um, <laughs> So the the hot like mayhem ensues when like the the teachers, the cyborg teachers who are designed for military practice begin like flipping into their militaristic mode. And, you know, it's just like uh, (laughs) I haven't revisited it much, but like there is there's a like it's it's an example of a, a type of genre movie where like it wears all of its influences on its sleeve. Like it seems to be a a hodgepodge of like a lot of the dystopian movies at the time, you know, like it's got, there's like reader boards in the school that are like study obey. So you're like, Oh, you've got your, they live elements. It's got its running man elements and it all (laughs) sort of like hybridizes into something all while it's like a, you know, a, a teen movie set in a, like a prison environment of a dystopian high school. And it's a hard R movie, like dystopian kid movies are not hard R anymore. And so like to to go back and see one from that from like that era and see it be as violent as it is <laughs> was like pretty exciting. Um, but like, I don't know that. So that's that's my history with the movie. What, uh, what was your experience in watching it?
1: I had a blast watching this movie and I think it just it's one of these movies and um I I thought at first I was going to maybe offend you by saying this but now I think we're on the same page it's pretty clear this is a really fun movie to like laugh at but yeah. also you can enjoy some of the action is like really fun in a crude low budget charming way from the era right um, so it's not just a good bad movie it's it but I found it very funny, my girlfriend who whose office is like next door to the room where I often watch stuff when when I'm catching up with movies, uh-huh. she was like, "What are you laughing at so much in this <laughs> for like the first half hour so i I loved the absurdity of this movie the but like you said, it doesn't just wear its influences on its sleeve. It's just kind of like really earnest in a way that I think um has kind of gone away in in a modern. Yeah. Uh, more irony filled or, you know, everybody there's more distance nowadays. Like there's just a willingness to just be earnest in this movie. So, but it's hilarious because the robot teachers, for instance, have you often get like kind of classic Terminator robo vision in this movie. And right away they can distinguish how many gang members it'll break down in their vision. Oh, there's 2000 gang members here. And there's one, there's 1200 like citizens. And I'm like, to me, it's not overtly a joke, but it's hilarious. Like how do these robots demarcate who's a gang member and who is a normal citizen? But that's also kind of gave me like something more to chew on that. This is a movie that is like a NRA lover conservatives dream of a movie, at least the premise. I think, I think it kind of subverts that in a way, but I started to dig into like what this movie represents from its era. Um It's the one, it came out during the one term of uh Bush one, George Bush. Mm-hmm. And there, there was a big push when we were kids growing up in the eighties and nineties, early nineties of like um dare became a thing, you know, drug awareness and gangs were really a problem. And it got, of course, hyperbolic and it still continues in a trump era where it's just happening in different like the the just the way to like the excessive over the top like description of like schools are like gang infested now this movie takes that idea and then has some fun with it but i just thought that was really interesting that like like to me that's that's that joke or the thing that I found so funny that it could distinguish between gang members and citizens. Like that's just commenting on uh, what's the term. Uh, what, do, what do you call it? Like if a police just profiling, uh, profiling thank you. Yeah. It, like I uh, did the movie intend that to be a commentary or a joke, like something like Paul Verhoeven would have done. I don't think so, but it's there. And that was in the ether at the time. And somehow the concerns of whoever was putting the money up for this movie it kind of matched that and they signed off on this movie and i think that's really there's more than just a good time watching a bad movie but this movie definitely fulfills i think on that level but also i i don't know i was finding stuff to like enjoy but also chew on a little bit so uh i had i had quite a bit of fun with this movie but i do think it's one that like it's so kitschy. It's so earnest that you're going to probably laugh at it. But like, if you're okay sure. with that, like it's a fun kind of cheese ball action movie for sure.
0: Yeah. I think that, I think it, it is intentional, especially since okay. like the, okay. the main characters are primarily gang members. That's so true. Like you're, That's true. you're aligned with the protagonists who like, Eventually, there's a there's a plot twist where you know they're being manipulated to be pitted against each other. The gangs who are already at war with each other, their war escalates because of they're being manipulated by some like strategic, you know, some war strategies from the teachers. Right. And so they, they realize this, band together, and like the movie really sort of like hits its stride in the last thirty minutes, where you kind of get to see like though it's a low budget movie. It was, I think it was made for like $5 million, which at the time, that's not super low budget. That's a that's a pretty substantial budget in 1989 when it was shot. But like mm-hmm. there there is a scale to the last 30 minutes where you're like, oh, it's now it's all on screen. Like it's pretty like the world building is a little wonky in the first like hour because you're just like, well, that just looks like Seattle in <laughs> 1990. Okay. But like, <laughs> or that looks like an old car, but with like a weird framing around it. All right, fine. But, like, the last 30 minutes, it, like, really hits its, like, stride. And I think that commentary of, like, the gangs, like, dealing with a sort of militarized opposition to them, you know, that was a commentary on, you know, like, how the the profiling of, you know, young people, mm. it's, you know, it was in the 1980s, it was certainly, like, people of color were being, like, viciously you know, profiled and like built with and incarcerated. This is kind of a primarily white cast, but like there's a, there's a Latino character um, who's like the leader of uh, one of the gangs. But like, other than that, it's like mostly white people because it's Seattle, you know, and (laughs) they're moshing to nine inch nails while shooting automatic guns in the air. There's just like thrilling (laughs) moments of, you know, like time capsule moments like that. But, like, I think that there is, like, there is a social commentary at work that isn't conservative, because I think Mark L. Lester, especially with Class of 1984, like, he's, you know, he he took Clockwork Orange as a huge influence on that movie, mm-hmm. and, like, this sort of takes the paranoia of movies like uh, The Principal, which I don't know if you know that movie, no. but, like, James Belushi and Louis Gossett Jr. Uh, go into a high school that's just, like, it's just a wasteland of like drugs, crime and like they just whip it back into shape and like the true story of Lean on Me like the those right, these right. movies were kind of like they were in the zeitgeist at the time Lean on Me, The Principal, uh Stand and Deliver, stuff like that. Right, um right? Teachers in you know, dangerous minds years later, but like so it takes that sets it in a dystopian future with RoboCop, They Live, Running Man elements and it just sort of like runs wild and you know there is a legitimate nine inch nail song that's playing softly in the background. Did you yeah, notice that, that
1: had like a hole? I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Great. song. there's like moments
0: like that in movies that like, there's a film called bad dreams that like the closing credit song is sweet child of mine by guns and roses. <laughs> yes. Which like when I saw it later, I was like, Oh my God, like this is the song that ends the movie. <laughs> like this song ended up being like way bigger than the movie ever was. <laughs> right. It's interesting having those like, oh, we're, we're going to position
1: your song in a in a big movie. And that's just like, eh, we'll be fine. I wondered how they afforded the Nine Inch Nails song, but it was probably it was, at a time where they were small enough or something. Like you said, the yeah, movie ex- was broke. expected. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, there was... And it had, you know, the movie's got
0: like a kind of cyberpunk sort of look to it that fit with Nine Inch Nails at the time. So it makes sense.
1: It's true. It's true. <laughs> uh, but yeah.
0: The last... 30 minutes of this movie really like they're riding motorcycles through the high school they're
1: like <laughs> which is so every, inefficient I loved how inefficient that was <laughs> like they tried to when they're in the
0: classroom just yes. sort of like making a, they're like taking right angles they're like let's go find my
1: girlfriend like wow that was a really like wobbly scene they literally hmm. ride but, around every yeah ru- corner of the room you're like you could have like, clearly just shined your light and seen everything
0: <laughs> just glanced in the room like yeah. you know she's clearly not in there you don't need to reverse every inch of it on your motorcycle or park it outside, walk in it anyway. Like, you know, those things are don't matter. Cause it's when you have value. a gang member blown out a window, uh, via rocket, like on motorcycle, it all, it's all worth it. You know, like I agree. I agree. It all, it all pays off. And then when you have another gang member stick an Uzi in the mouth of a robotic teacher, and blow his entire head off. I was just like, yes, okay, I now have located why, like, I still connect with this movie in this way.
1: Totally, man. I, I think that there's an energy. You talked about the world building is a little bit, like, yeah, lacking in the in the most of the beginning of the movie. But yet, there's, like, a, it's, like, more, like, I saw the desire... And what at least the at least what the ambition was, and then it yeah. does really become legit. Like you see a lot of it on screen in that final third, as you said. But I was yeah. able to kind of go with it because I thought the the frame was at least packed full of stuff. They tried right, and I, I yeah. guess the movie had a sense of like one of those Max Fisher plays in Rushmore. You know, like right. like it felt like that kind of adorable energy where you are like, wow, they really are trying, and they're using whatever they can to try to make the frame like. I think there's a lot lacking in modern day, big budgeted movies where they either just do it in post or they don't care at all, where there just seems like these movies are supposed to be big and global, but like they feel small. Class of 99, there's at least an attempt to try like, like whatever we have to make this feel futurey, you know, because yeah. it's not like a lot of time has passed from when this movie was made in 1990 or when it came out to when it's set. So it's like, wow, things got really bad fast in the nineties in this, in this Mm -hmm. theoretical world. But like they're doing what they can to sell it to you. And that goes a long way for me. Like that, that ambition, that effort to do it. And I really, I just kept thinking like, fuck, this is like watching a Max Fisher play in Rushmore. I loved that aspect of it, but another thing that's that, or go ahead. I'm sorry. Don't let me cut you off.
0: Well, it just kind of circles back to what we're talking about with like upgrade and how like it's, it's, you need to demonstrate your sense of like innovation. And that's what makes the, the big moments in the movie sing. Whereas like, you know, with class of 1999, um they're just like there's a sense of like needing to invest in the payoff and like that that energy is detectable whereas like modern movies like they may be just as busy as like what you're saying like they fill the frame with in class of 1999 but it feels empty and it's like they may have busy action sequences but they feel dull and inert because like there there isn't There isn't anything real you're looking at. It looks like a really just hectic screensaver, basically. And with with this, it's like practical stunts. It's just all these sort of earned moments. And as scrappy as they may come across, and sort of in some of the lesser moments, like when they do hit, they like they really connect. You know, in like Mm -hmm. you know a movie that's like goofy, but it still is just like when it connects, it really connects.
1: It's it's goofy, but also like legit. Actors are in this movie. Malcolm, speaking of clock <laughs> yeah, recording, definitely. fucking Malcolm McDowell's in this movie. And Pam right. Greer is one of the robot teachers. And yeah. OK, but the ultimate is Stacy Keach and his Stacey haircut. Keach, who only ingests
0: foods and liquids that match his hair and eye color, <laughs>
1: which are white. He only <laughs> bananas and only seems to drink milk. It's true. Yeah, I I didn't even like really like connect that, but that's true that those he does that in scenes in the <laughs> Anytime someone's eating a banana
0: in a movie, I'm going to what? why what, what is that about? Like the scene in Belly where the guys like I don't like that shit. I don't like
1: shit. <laughs> yeah, the eating actor that from banana? Hmm. <laughs> It's strange. It's strange. But yeah, the the <laughs> cast is uh you know, that's that's elevated like uh, you could tell they're kind of Slumming it like Malcolm McDowell. This is a point in his career where like Clockwork Orange was like 15 years prior, you know. And right. but that it's still like I was excited when you turned me on to this movie, and I'm like, fuck, Malcolm McDowell, Pam Greer, Stacey, I'll watch this movie, you know, and like robots and stuff. Like, and uh, they they deliver. I, I still think Pam Greer is like, even in movies like this, she like always has such a great presence on camera, yeah. like she's always yeah, been like beautiful and all that stuff, but she's a great actor too. And like has a presence Um, that, that elevates this movie too. You know Uh, it it really does. But uh, I'm actually just glad that we have talked this out because I, I, it's not that I feel like I misunderstood the movie, but to, to get your perspective on the director's maybe point of view a little bit more helps because I do think this movie, like the whole idea that like these robots, it's like a militarized thing and there's much more nefarious stuff going on behind the scenes uh, like with the St- Stacey Keach character, who's like in charge of these robot teachers, like the fact that that's, mm. that's all there. And you're right. The heroes of the movie are the gang members. So we are definitely firmly in there. Like we're with them in the movie. Um, I, I, There's I that it makes it even more interesting to me that it then came out to ref, to like kind of knock back against the conservative wave that was happening. You know, you had two terms of Ronald Reagan and then Bush. Uh, is the third uh, conservative again, you know, like that, that's, that's kind of awesome. So, um, yeah, Yeah. I I think there was more to dig into this movie than, than maybe one would expect, but uh, I say, I I say, check it out. (laughs) Yeah. Where where you can check it out. Um, It's on VOD services. It's worth saying. Like I rented it on Google Play, it's on YouTube and iTunes to to rent. Um wherever you probably use VOD, you can find it and there's there's a DVD out there as well. So yeah. um there, I was looking yeah. it up. There's also a sequel. There's of course like you said Class of 1984 precedes it. Sure. There's there's a Class of 1999 Part 2, but uh I only yeah. just saw that now. I don't know anything about it.
0: It's it's not very good. Um oh, but I mean bad. clearly Class of 1999, though it like it's theatrical run, I don't think was it didn't do very well. But um, I think it found its audience on video and then therefore was like substantial enough that they would, you know, do a straight to video sequel, you know, <laughs> with Class really? of 1999 part two. Just convoluted. It's just like, what Cla- part? Two? What the fu- what? I thought this was a sequel to that one. Now this is a sub sequel to the sea. I don't understand. But um you can't keep track of this shit uh-uh, um, but you know, like it was a summer of nineteen ninety you had you know it was it was a good dystopian summer total recall you had a uh, Robocop two featuring another fictitious drug uh in class of nineteen ninety nine it was edge
1: that's right
0: yeah. Robocop two it was nuke, so <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of fake scary drugs out there, and a lot of concerns, of yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: What are the kids going to be doing these days? A lot of lot of concerns back then. Probably still. Who knows?
0: Yeah. So, um, you know, there's, there was there was a time where this would play first run theaters, and um, you know, that time seems to be over. But like, there's there still are you know, movies that are reminiscent of that that you can still support now. So I think that's
1: the that's the through line between the two. It's true. We've we've seeded it together. We've threaded it. It's 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 all happening. Yeah. Go go see Upgrade and then make time for Class of nineteen ninety nine. I think you'll have a good time with both for sure. So, so what do you say, man? Should we wrap it up? Yeah, it sounds good. So just chill to the next episode. All right, let's wrap up. Uh, Adjust your tracking. Episode one hundred and seventy six. You can find us uh, in all of our uh, episodes from the last few years archived at the playlist.net. Uh, find our podcast on any of your typical podcatcher. And then, of course, support the other shows on the Playlist Podcast Network, like the Playlist Podcast. Uh, Ryan Oliver and uh, Rodrigo Perez have been doing episodes here and there. They tend to cover that big stuff, more the industry focused on like how the solos of the world are doing. And they, they fill a gap that you and I just couldn't really be bothered, usually, to to uh, to cover. So they're they're doing good yeah. work there. And we've got Over Under Movies and uh, a few other shows as well. So, um, support that stuff. You can email us at adjust your tracking at com, and we'd be extremely thankful. Uh, we've been getting emails here and there. I still get them from fans and, uh, I'm not asking people to take the time to do that, but when we get one of those and I send it to Joe, it really, it's really heartening. And, uh, just wanted to thank some of those fans that have, uh, reached out to us and said kind words because, um, we're just glad to know people out there and actually care what me and Joe say. So, you know, it's it's heartening, isn't it, Joe? Yeah, thanks, guys. Thanks, yeah. Well, you're thanking a little too early, so I'm supposed to thank you for talking with me, Joe. So thanks, buddy. Oh, hey, thanks.
0: <laughs> thanks, Eric.